morning. Question for you. Um, so if Jesus walked in the room right now and he said, listen, tell me, what are you grateful for right now, today? Not just some general. What would you tell him? Yeah. What would you? That would be a great answer, wouldn't it? <laughs> you, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Fantastic. Yeah. Bible. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it's grateful that we have a place to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's crazy because we read the Bible, we read it a lot, we study it, we preach about it, and there are these words, and I think what Abby was sharing and Ryan, what you're sharing is there's these words we come across that kind of become like normal words yeah. to us, right? Yeah. And then you start thinking about eternal life, man. When you just think about that for a second, wow. you know, it's like, oh, my. we have no, like, there's no way to conceptualize that word of eternal because we're bound by time, right? I mean, it's kind of like we don't know what that's really like, except it's beyond our comprehension, right? I mean, those are the kind of things that, wow, really should well up inside of us. It's like, oh, my goodness, man, we are so thankful for that. What else? What would you say? Yeah. Well, Yeah. Just to pull up to the house and get the news of what had happened, and mm-hmm. I mean, I called you on the way there because I mm-hmm. just had a weird feeling, and um, I just I, I remember when you got there, and I really didn't have anything I could say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just hard to lose a friend, but just having hugs and people mm-hmm. who were okay with us not having yeah. words, and even uh, just what Abby was sharing about about funny things. I'm like, man. When I tried to leave y'all's house to go back to work two days later, and I don't know if you remember this, the back steps were wet, and I fell on my butt, and it hurt so bad. I mean, I just, you I did? Lost my footing, and, you know what? I guess I'm not supposed to go back to work. It was a sign from the Lord. Yeah. That whole week, but just um, grateful to be. Yeah. I'm so grateful for yeah. y'all's family and yeah. uh, that we have family that can take care of us. Right. Right. Even to have sweet memories among yeah. like the hardest times we yeah. have people who love us. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Isn't that amazing how it works that way? And and uh, you know I'm really glad you brought me up too. So, yeah. That was great. <laughs> no, but it's it's the truth. I mean it's uh, man. I mean just all it's, it is. It's so emotional. But it's, it's, it's amazing how through all of that being, how, how awesome it is that God puts us all together um, for hard times and fun times yes. and bad times and all that kind of stuff. And it's, that's awesome, man. That's really great. Yeah. So I've been really grateful for my roommates this week. Um, I think we, as the semester is kind of winding down and we're thinking about Olivia graduating and everything, it's just been Aww. really, really cool to like be building memories, to be celebrating with each other, to be praying for each other, like just when things have been... Yeah. good and bad and I feel like we've just gotten this year to kind of be there for each other and to like have a lot of fun but also like have those moments where we're all like we don't know what's going to happen and yeah, right. we're just going to pray so I think it's just been really cool kind of to reflect on that this awesome week. awesome I love it yeah so Olivia's done she's graduated her tests are in so that's really fantastic so congratulations nurse yeah. wit she's going to have office hours if you have any ailments you can go see her and that'll be fantastic well, okay then. <laughs> Step up, girl. Come on. 
but, uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, there's so much. What, what's great about this is, as we say often, Philippians 4.8, I mean, Paul knew what to write, man, about what our heart needs, which is gratitude and thinking of true and noble and right things and yeah. being thankful in hard times and good times and all that kind of stuff. It's just is good for our heart, right, to have that. So you had your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great segue. Here's the thing. We've been, um, you know, we're, we're ending our series right on loving well. How do we do that? I, I wish I had more answers. Um, I wish I had more practicals as we've spent these last few months of really learning. Here's what I do know is there's no way I can say I follow Jesus if I don't love well. Like there just isn't a way that I can decide I'm not going to love people. I'm not going to love God. There's really no way I can get away with that. Is we can do a lot of things spiritually. This, right? I mean, Paul had it down in 1 Corinthians 13. We can do a whole lot of things. And, and if we don't love. And then there's been something that's really put on my heart. And I thought, wow, I really missed the ball. This is probably the first sermon we should have been preaching on, on what I want to talk about today. Okay. Um, because as I was thinking through it, I thought, you know, the greatest hunger any human has is to be loved well. That's the greatest hunger of everyone. And we don't even know how to, how to say that. Like, we don't even know how to ask for that. We don't know even sometimes what, what we're even looking for, right? I mean, we just have kind of lived our lives. And, and what, we see, what we feel is like emotion, right? We feel like the emotions or loneliness or, or anger, or bitterness, or something. We seek it out in relationships. We look for it in sexuality. I mean, there's so many things. We look for it just in comfort and just in entertainment of just binge watching. We, look, we don't realize that, that there's this thing that God has built inside of us that desires more deeply than anything else to be loved well. Yes. And, and, and that matters so much. But here's what can happen, though, in Christianity and in the church, is sometimes we can still... <clears throat> Because we walk into a church, and even because we study the Bible, and even because we can get baptized into Jesus, doesn't automatically mean that we even know what that means to love well. Okay? Oftentimes what can happen is that we can just kind of switch it like, okay, now loving well is about now I'm around people that love me, and so I love them, and that's Christianity. But the problem with that is that's codependency. Like, we can forget what the most important thing is, is, is we want to come into a body of believers that love well, but not so that we then begin pursuing people to love well, but that we pursue God. That is so vitally important. And, and you may think, man, that's such a little thing, but it, it makes all the difference in the world because here's what ends up happening. Is it, have you ever felt this way before? Like, even in church, like you just feel disappointed. You're disappointed in people. You're upset with people. You wish people would be better. You wish people would be different. You wish they would love them well. You've been sitting here as we've preached loving well, and you've thought, you want to know what? I know people that don't love well sitting right in this room. I bet you every single one of us has said, Riley's laughing. He has no poker face. None whatsoever, okay? 
But I bet you at some point, every single one of us has, has thought that because there's a temptation. And you think about this is if Satan was really a schemer, a schemer like we know he is, what better scheme than to say, no, 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 come in and sit in the church and put your hope in people and put your hope in people who say they love God even. All right. But there's a very fine line because here's the real question to really dig down deep is do do me and you if we want to love well do we love Jesus do we love God so passionately like if there was no one around to help me do what I need to do I would still do it with fervent love if there was no if there was just two people that walked into the room we would still praise him it doesn't matter I don't need people to tell me how awesome God is in my life all right sometimes it's really we kind of wait we're kind of like man I'm kind of waiting for somebody to like spark me like to give me some kind of like like push spiritually and we have an entire bible that is that that is pure gasoline okay that is just ready to light us on fire we have we have this in the word of God right there that's one of the reasons why we say wow we've got to be in that thing and not just reading it and learning it for information right but the idea of if nothing to learn about who our hearts desire more than anything else. when God built every one of us could you imagine I think the coolest thing that will be when we're in heaven with Jesus would be to ask him, take me back when you were knitting people together. Like before time, like when you were putting Olivia together, what were you thinking about? When you were putting Seth together, like could you imagine the list of names? You would go, hey, show me that person. Like what were you even thinking? Or what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's different ways to ask that question, right? <laughs> right? What were you, <laughs> okay? But it's the idea of could you imagine God being so in love as he created you. And he's like, as he's creating all of what's inside of you, he's going, man, I'm building this person and every person so that there is one deepest desire of their heart, and that's to love me. Like, that's the thing. There's going to be a hunger in there. And then Satan messes it all up because he has this buffet of junk food that we want to go into, and we just want to start eating to fill it up. And we realize, you want to know what? It doesn't fill us up, right? I mean, it's like you can keep pursuing that and it just doesn't do it. Okay. Some of us in here, we've led some lives that have been really, really messy. We have eaten at the table of some nasty places. Okay. And and you want to know what? But there's some in here too. You want to know what? You've eaten at a really nice place. You've had a really nice place to sit down and maybe you hadn't gone down those roads. Okay. But you could still be sitting here right now going, I am not fulfilled in Jesus. And I've sat at a nice place to eat. Like, I've had people who've loved me. I've had people who've taught me the Bible. That may be you, and you still are thinking, I'm not fulfilled. Here's the reason. is because our goal isn't to get fulfillment in people. Our goal is to be so passionate about Jesus and about what he's done and who he is, okay? And so that's the starting point. Let me share with, with you, these are... The effects of being unloved, okay? This isn't, I'm not even making this up. I mean, this is like psychology today, you know, all this kind of, Here's the effects, okay? Tell me if any of these ha- have ever been a part of your life. Insecurity. Low self-value. Low emotional intelligence. That means you have a hard time re- regulating your emotions. 
right? Just like regulating emotions, like you just can't stop it. You're either angry or sad or all of these things. Untrusting. You have difficulty with boundaries, right? Boundaries are like saying no, like saying no to, oftentimes the difficulty with boundaries is we say no to the wrong things and say yes to the, or we say no to the right, what, what am I saying? We say yes to the wrong things, all right, and no to the right things, okay? We have difficulty with boundaries. We choose toxic friendships. When we haven't been loved well, we choose toxic friendships. The effects of being unloved, we get dominated by fear and failure, okay? We feel isolated, and we have extreme sensitivity, any of those you ever had in your life, all right? Here's what he's saying is, is this is the effect of being unloved. And this is what can happen even in the church when we don't really know God, when we don't really know what he's done and how he's done it and how passionate, because we just kind of wait and go, well, but I mean, I, Keith, I was raised in a good family. I must have been loved well. But listen, nobody has loved us like God has loved us, yeah. right? There isn't anyone ever, no, nobody, the best parents in the world. I mean, it's, I love it when Jesus says, hey, fathers, y'all love your kids and you know how to give them good gifts, but you're evil. Right. That was Jesus' assessment of good parenting. I mean, that is so hard. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's great. I, I love, uh, y'all are good parents, but you're evil compared to me. That's the discrepancy here, okay? And so even if we're, like, trying to be loved well by earthly parents, that's fine, but it's not the same as God. It's not the same as knowing him, okay? And so that's the starting point. If we want to really love well, man, if we aren't, like, fervently digging into God's word, and not just reading it, but, but we actually are, like, ingesting it into us, and we're real, wow, God, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe that you've been here like this for me. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start out. In Ephesians, well, actually, no, let's do Ephesians chapter 2. How about that, okay? It's still good, right? I mean, you know, you can read Ephesians 1. It's good. Ephesians 2, I'm going to, man, here's the deal. You, You know about Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Man, that is the bread and butter of Ephesians right there. I mean, 4, 5, and 6 are great, okay? But 4, 5, and 6 are the chapters that are telling you to go and do things, which we like better, right? I mean, that's like our spiritual act of worship. It's just tell me what I need to do. I don't care who you are. Just give me my marching orders. Well, Ephesians 1 through 3 is like, no, buddy. Listen, the 4, 5, and 6 doesn't matter if you don't get 1, 2, and 3. And so right here in verse 1, he says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which previously you walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. I mean, that's really an amazing picture like this is where like just a sermon or or a lesson or something like that does really very little because we've got to sit here and go hold on a minute you mean that God himself when I was baptized into Jesus he brought me from death to life have you ever seen that happen before I don't mean a baptism I mean a dead person turn into a live person 
Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever done that? Any of the nurses here in the, in the hospital, have you seen that? Like, you're like, oh, man, poor old so-and-so. They just died, but Dr. Miller came in, and now they're living. Has that ever happened in the hospital? Ever happened when you were, like, practicing to be a nurse? That ever happened? No. I mean, Dave Roper would tell us he's never seen it before. What would you do if you saw that happen? Wouldn't you? Well, wouldn't you? I mean, that would, be, that would be the epic, like nothing else would be better that we could ever see. And like, you mean somebody did that? And Paul's writing right here, and he says, well, actually, Jesus did that. Actually, Jesus did that. And he said, but in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive, even though you were dead in sin, you are saved by grace. He said he saved you because you couldn't do it on your own and and you don't even deserve it. That's a sad story. Okay, that's a sad story. If we were to tell our story right here out of Ephesians 2, we would have said, hold on a minute, that's a dead person who really deserved to be dead because of their sin. But again, when we go kind of too fast, I've heard that before. Like our sin doesn't become that bad, right? Like our, our sin doesn't, like really I was dead? I mean, I was kind of like, maybe not, it, maybe if your sin wasn't that bad, you didn't think you were really dead. And so it's this idea, though, of this, of this miracle. Could you imagine having a conversation with Jesus and saying, talk to me about this. What, Jesus, what were you thinking when I was dead in my sin? What were, you, what were you thinking when I was so rebellious? What were you thinking about that? Like, what were you seeing in me as you looked down and I was just like wallowing in death? Right, because that's really the conversation. I mean, when we just read Ephesians 2, we're like, oh, yeah, we know. This sounds very Christian. Sounds very good. I mean, Paul's writing is excellent here. But the reality is, is there's real things happening in the heavens. There's, there's real things happening. What would you ask Jesus? What would you love to know? What would you love for Jesus to tell you about before you were even in him? Like when you were dead. You were dead in your sin. You know, what would you love to learn about his heart for you? Because in Romans 5, he says, hey, you know what? When you were still sinners, when I knew, I mean, okay, here's the cool thing about God. Get rid of time as you know it, okay? There's not, there is not a 24-hour clock on God, okay? I mean, he can see all of eternity, forward and backward, all at the same time. And he said, listen, when I saw you at your absolute worst, I rescued you. How much would it touch your heart to talk to the person who rescued your life? Like, like, think about that. Think about it in a worldly sense. Like, you're drowning, and you're rescued. Or you're in an accident, and you're rescued. Or somebody even, you know, gives up their organs for you, and they rescue you, and you go and talk to the family afterwards. Wouldn't that be so much more emotional? To talk to the person who rescued you. What, what do you think he would say? At your word, could you imagine somebody saying that? I saw you at your absolute worst. And what he said was, I want that one right there. That's who I want. I want them in their greatest level of rebellion. Because here's what's interesting. If we don't grasp that, boy, it's going to be really hard to love people well. See the point here? 
It's going to be really hard if we either don't see our sin, we haven't stopped long enough to slow down, to really understand, hold on a minute, there are things going on and there are things going on in, in the heavens that, that God is relating and interrelating to us. What do you think he's saying now about you? Do you think that he is in any way, shape, or form happy about you? It it sure seems, I would be hard-pressed. I would be hard-pressed to think otherwise when I read the New Testament. I I would be hard-pressed for for God who sent his son while we were sinners to go, yeah, yeah, I saved him, but I, I don't like Royce Miller. I don't like rich very much. I don't like all of these things, you know, and, and, and here's the truth of the matter is, is, is if we don't kind of take our hearts there, all right, it's going to be really, really, really difficult because what we're going to end up doing is, is we're going to try to love people well, but it's going to be in a very flawed way of, of having been loved and trying to love the way we've been loved, okay, and, and we're going to try to love people even though we still feel insecure, and we still were dominated by fear and failure and low emotional intelligence. And we're going to try to love people through that. And it's going to become very, very frustrating. And this may be the starting point for all of us is going back and going, wow, I've got to really learn to love Jesus so passionately. To learn to love him so just in, 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 in a depth that I don't even, it's, it's not a matter of people pushing me forward. It's a matter of when I come around brothers and sisters, man, I am just so thankful for Jesus. Turn over to Jeremiah. We're going to look right here in Jeremiah 30. Okay? So it's the idea of knowing God. What's really cool, and you can go ahead and read this on your own as you're turning to Jeremiah 30, is um, you can write in your notes in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, What Paul writes that is really amazing, Paul writes a prayer out. And his prayer essentially is this. I pray that you will know God and his love and how deep it is and how wide it is. I pray that you can understand, like even fathom how incredible that is, okay? Because without that, we can't love each other well. Without that, okay? That's Paul's very prayer. It isn't... It isn't him praying for some kind of miraculous harvest or anything like that. It's that they will, that we will know Jesus. Have you plumbed the depths of his love? Has that happened in your life? Do you feel like that you have been, you know, again, we use the example often. All right. If you knew somewhere on your property, you had millions of dollars of, of, of gold on your property. All right. Right. Here's the thing about this. Would you ever say, nah, I'm going to take a week off. Now, I'm not going to try looking for it today. No, man, this is too hard. Right. You'd be crazy. Right. But, but here's the deal is, is, is there's, we would be fervent to find that. We, we would be absolutely fervent. And so he, say, he writes that in Ephesians 3. Here, here's what's awesome, though, in Jeremiah 30. So, throughout history, um, what we see in the Bible is God loving us, us rebelling against him, 
All right. Him allowing us, and this is what the, is this is good news too. Him allowing us to go. You want to know what you're going to eat? You're going to eat from the pig pen that you're making. Like there are consequences in your life. I'm going to let you have. Okay. And then he goes and rescues again. He says, "But I'm still here. I'm still here for you." Okay. And this is the whole history of not just Israel but us too, right? Have you ever had that happen before? Or are you just like you at baptism? You're fine. You never sinned again. You never wanted more. But here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter thirty. Yeah, Jeremiah chapter thirty, in verse twelve, as he's telling the people, he's like, "Listen, um, you got some issues, but I'm not forgetting about you." He says, uh, "This is what the Lord says: Your injury is incurable. Your wound most severe." No one takes up the case for your sores. There's no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They no longer look for you. For I've struck you as an enemy would with the discipline of someone cruel because of your enormous guilt and your innumerable sins. That's a hard talk right there, isn't it? No one loves you anymore. The people you thought loved you don't love you anymore. Right? Could you imagine having that talk with your like? You know, this is heavy right here, okay? But that could be said about us, right? That, that could be said about us. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been to that place before? Where you're like, all that you put your energy into and you realize they're not there anymore. You put your relation, you put all of your heart and, and soul into a relationship. You compromise sexually. You do all of these things. And, 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 and then you realize, you know, they're not even there anymore. They don't love you. Have you ever come to that reality before? Where you're like, man, I've been used. Right? What I thought was love wasn't. This is the talk he's having right here. And he says in verse 15, why do you cry out about your injury? Your pain has no cure. All right? Some more good news from God right there. I've done these things because you're enormous guilt and your innumerable sins. He's saying it's your own fault. Like, there's no excuse. He says, nevertheless, this is awesome right here, okay? He says, nevertheless, all who devoured you will be devoured. Like, don't you love that? Now, all of a sudden, it's like, listen, you've got to hear the truth about you, and I've got to hear the truth about me, and it is not fun to hear. And it is dirty, and it is, and it is all my responsibility. And he says, but I'm going to tell you something. The guy that went after you, I'm going to kill him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, even just a little bit, you're like, oh, thank you. Okay, this is God right here. I mean, if your heart doesn't go out to that guy, he's like, hey, I see people messing with you, and I hate it, and you're, you're so nasty, I can't even cure you right now, but I'm going to go beat those jokers up. Okay? That right there is just enough, okay? And he says, but he, he goes on, all who devoured you. He says, all of your adversaries, and then he writes all of them. Like, all of your adversaries, in case you're not sure of what I mean, I mean all of them, okay, will go into exile. Those who plundered you, I'm going to plunder. Those who raided you will be raided. And I will bring you health. And I will heal you of your wounds. Yeah. You know, could you imagine going to the doctor and the doctor saying, I don't even want to treat you. You're a waste of medicine. You're coming to see me because of how you lived. You're coming to see me, and I can't even fix you. In fact, I don't even want to fix you. All right, could you imagine? You're like, oh, my goodness. 
Do I still have to pay my copay? That's what I want to know, okay? But could you, and and they're saying that, but then somebody comes in and says, I will though, I'll cure you. I know it's desperate, but I can cure you, okay? This is God right here, okay? Over in Jeremiah 31, really the same thing. He says at that time in verse one, this is the Lord's declaration. I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they'll be my people. This is what the Lord says. They found favor in the wilderness. The people who survived the sword when Israel went to find rest. Isn't it awesome? I want you to stop right here because you might not have recognized what you just read. God remembered the people he brought out of, of Egypt and he said, that's why they're my people. Isn't it great that they get to speak for us? Still, God is like, man, as messed up as my people are, I remember those jokers I brought out of Egypt and I really love them. Isn't that great that we get lumped into that? (laughs) That's awesome. He's not really saying anything so much about us. He says, I have loved you, verse 3, with an everlasting love. I've continued to extend faithful love. Again, I will build you so that you will be rebuilt. Virgin Israel, you will take up your tambourines again and go out in joyful dancing. Here's what's awesome about that. Israel was not a virgin. God had been clear. Israel, you had gone and you had lovers all over the place. You look for everyone. In fact, you wouldn't even think about not being unfaithful to me with the first person that came along. But here's what he says. He goes, no, no, no. You're a virgin. You're a pure. And I will build you up. You will plant vineyards again. You will plant plants. You will enjoy the fruit. I love this in verse 8. He says, watch, I'm going to bring them from the northern land. I'm going to gather them from remote regions of the earth. You know, you think, man, can I ever be away and hidden from God? He's like, I'm going to find my people. And I'm going to bring them. And he says this, I will gather them. The blind and the lame will be with them. Along with those who are pregnant and those about to give birth. They'll return here as a great assembly. They'll come weeping. But I will bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to the wadis filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn. Nations hear the word of the Lord and tell it among the far off coastlands. This is what's awesome about this. Is I know in our minds, we always think like we are the strongest, most invincible, cleanest people in the world. All right? And, and the truth of the matter is, man, we're struggling. And what I love is he's saying, you want to know who's, who I'm going to bring out? Is people who are lame and blind. People are going to come out weeping. People are going to come out. And you think about that is that's us. All right? It's that idea of, man, I'm just struggling. It's not just the healthy people. It's not the good-looking people. It's not the, the people that have it all together. It's not all those things, but... Far too often we think like we're so strong and we're so good and we're so generous and and we think so highly of ourselves and we think, well, of course God is going to come and call me out because I'm awesome. And it's really hard when we don't understand and know God this way to love people well because we don't know his heart. Right. Right? We talked last week about being intentional, about going and sharing our faith and loving well people who can't give anything back to us. Right. All right. 
People who can't give us anything back, and it's impossible to do that if we don't realize that that's what God was doing to us. He's like, these jokers can't do anything to help me. Like, I'm going to literally have to put my Holy Spirit in them for them to do anything. This is, this is so amazing, but we've got we've to re- pray in a way that we've got to get into God's head and his heart to figure out, man, what were you thinking here? Like, what does this mean for me? Because we're not going to be able to love well if we don't realize we've been loved well by God and love the way he loves us, that it was first, it, it was him making that. Okay, let, let me just put this in this way. Who is the person you hate the most? Don't say it out loud. Please don't. <laughs> Especially if it's me, okay? <laughs> Who, seriously, when you're thinking about it, you're going, no, 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 no one, no one, no one. I mean, I just have a hard time believing that Satan has just been like, nah, I'm not going, they're, they're not going to hate anybody anymore. But I want you to think, what'd they do? How'd they treat you? How'd that make you feel? And, and, and still, I mean, you might be thinking, well, I mean, not that much. I mean, you, you, you might not be old enough to, for that to be the case. But the older you live, the more it, like, life hurts. And you see more. What'd they do to you? All right? And could you imagine taking the first step back in reconciliation? That you said, you want to know what, man? No, 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 no. Listen, I'm taking a step towards you. I'm going to you. Okay? That's almost, un- it's so hard for our hearts to understand. Okay? And this is the way God has loved us. Okay? Turn over. We're going to wrap this up here. First Peter 4, okay, is a lot of times we, we read and hear First Peter 4. We read in here and we've read scriptures about, you know, how can you say you love God if you don't love your brothers? Right. Okay. That almost sounds backwards. Like, I have to love my brothers first before. I... No. How can you say you love God if you don't love your brother? Because the natural product of loving God is to love your brother. Right. It isn't like, okay, I'm going to leave right here now and I'm going to try so hard to love my brothers. <laughs> I'm going to try so hard to love people. He's like, no, no, no. If you would, if you loved God, that is the natural outpouring of a passionate, fervent love for God is that we would love our brothers. Okay. And so again, you ever do that before you leave and you're like, okay, I'm going to work so hard this week on loving my brothers and sisters. We need to work on loving God and Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the product is you're going to love your brothers and sisters. Okay, because how can you not? How can you read about a God that has gone so far and so deep and rescued us from such a pit and go, I don't love you. I got a bad attitude towards you. You're not worth it to me. How can you do it? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So that's our starting place. We've got to go back there, right? First Peter 4, verse 7, this is what Peter writes. He says, all, the end of all things is near. Like, do you believe that to be true? Like, the end is near. The end, Jesus coming back is near. He says, therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain 
in intense love for each other. Since love covers over a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. He says, above all else, maintain fervent love for one another. For, have you ever seen somebody do something fervently with great passion and focus and faith? He says, above all else, do that, okay? But here's what he's saying. Don't forget 1 Peter 1. Go back to there and connect these dots right here, okay? Remember in 1 Peter 1, just so we don't lose sight again of going, okay, just like he said, I need to go and be fervent in love with my brothers and sisters. Peter has already laid the groundwork for loving God first. He's already laid the groundwork, and in one crazy run-on sentence right here, okay? These eight, this is a run-on sentence. He didn't even stop for a period. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus and into an inheritance that's imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being protected by God's power through faith, for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you hadn't seen him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, okay? I mean, he just kind of barfed it all out there. Like, this is, this is how incredible Jesus is, and this right here is why we can keep a fervent love for one another, right? We can't love well if we don't know God, and we don't know God just because we sit in church, and we don't know God just because we're around godly people necessarily, We've got to be in his word, right? I mean, passionately learning and like applying my heart to this. I think everyone in here, you want to love brothers and sisters with fervent love. You want to love your neighbors with fervent love. You want to love your family with fervent love. You want to love your coworkers and teachers and different kids in classes with fervent love. But here's what we need to go back to. And if, only, if, if all we were to do is even meditate on 1 Peter 1 or Jeremiah 30 or Jeremiah 31 or any number of verses. We're going, oh my God, this blows my mind at how incredibly God has loved me. And if that doesn't like get my pulse going, it's going to be really hard to love each other. You know why? We're still messed up. We're messed up people. We haven't been perfected yet. Okay, that's our goal. That's our goal right here is to have this kind of above all else, have a fervent love. Why? Because of all of these things that Peter put down. He says, man, you're being guarded. You're being protected. There's an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. There's so much. In fact, there's, it's so great. The joy is inexpressible. Right? That's the starting point in loving.